Good morning. I do want to let you know, next Saturday we will not have men's group. But the following Saturday on New Year's Eve, we will have men's group here in Evansville. So we'll be in the book of James. It's been a good study that we started yesterday. So um, so we have Christmas coming up, and this is the last service we have until after Christmas. And it, uh, I knew for two weeks what I was preaching on, and it was the whole thought process of what are we even celebrating, right? And it, uh, there's a, on the way here, I was reminded of a, a cartoon I seen a while back, and it was the, uh, and Connie put it up here in a minute, but it, uh, it's a couple animals sitting around looking at their, their food, and there's a baby laying in the food. And the one looks at the other one and says, dude, there's a baby in the salad, right? Just like that there, and it's, Dude, there's a baby in the salad. He's confused, right? And uh, it gets me thinking sometimes that are, are we kind of like that, right? Is our celebration kind of like, dude, why is this about a baby? Who is this about? What's going on here, right? And sometimes that's what Christmas is. It's more of, it's more of what's going on. Who are we celebrating? Who is this baby? And, you know, most people know the baby's name is Jesus Christ, but what do we really know, right? And uh, this is a, at least the first half of this is going to be very simple. And I struggled with that until the other day in prayer, Keevan told me that the Lord said it was going to be a simple message. And I said, okay, perfect, because it's simple. And uh, so I began praying about it, and, and the first scripture I want to share here is uh, John five nine, uh, John five thirty nine. It says, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me." And uh, everything in Scripture, everything in the world, should all be about Him. You know, sometimes we can get to the point to where we look at Scripture or we're looking at our lives and. And we're trying to figure out how to do things, what we need to do, or just how to get by. And he's trying to tell you in this, hey, everything you read in Scripture, no matter what it tells you to do, it's all about me. And that's huge, right? So I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask the Lord to show us what that means, that it's all about him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God... I thank you for who you are, Lord. I ask, Father, Lord, that you would just speak through me today, God. That you would get me out of your way. That you would speak to our hearts, Lord. And that you would change each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I look at this baby, and uh, a few of these things, if you were in Henderson, you would have heard Keith share a few things of of the same notion. I kind of figured that was going to happen, but... If you go to John 1, right in the beginning of John 1, he says, In the beginning is the Word, and the Word was flesh, or the Word was God. And then it goes through, and, and the first thing he points out, though, he wants to know, you to know that God was in the beginning, or the Word was in the beginning, He was God, He was Creator. Right? There's nothing 
other than what he created. There's nothing, there's no life without him. If you go into first John or into John one, that is the very layout of it. And then John points out throughout the rest of it that that very creator is Jesus Christ. So that tells us that he was from the beginning, not just a baby, but he was always, he's always been. And, uh, which is a, it's a concept. It, uh, it's kind of hard to grasp our minds around even the concept of somebody always has been. Right? Whenever you try to think of God, like, how many times have you been heard, uh, have you heard people say, who created God? Well, nobody ever created God. He just always has been. And then we try to grasp that, and you're like, I don't get it. Good, because nobody does. We can't comprehend it because we're not there. We're limited by time and by creation. We only know what is created. We only understand that. Um, you go to Colossians 1.15, it tells us that uh, Jesus is the very image of the eternal God. The unseen God, the God you can't see, Jesus is the image of that. And then you, you start seeing these little things that are laid out in it. It's uh, In Genesis, you, you see him interacting with Adam. Genesis 3, you see him walking in the garden. Right? And this is Adam walking with Jesus, talking to Jesus. Because we're told throughout, throughout all these things, whenever it says it's God, you know, it's, sometimes it says the angel of the Lord, Sometimes it says the Lord, but every time that, that there's what they call them a Christophany, it's where Christ appeared in the Old Testament. And every time you see him appear, the person has fear and reverence and calls him Lord. Sometimes they bow down to him. Sometimes they say the ground is clean or holy. And often he refers to himself when he's talking as the Lord, right? But we see it in the beginning. We see... Uh, we see when he talked with Hagar. We see him whenever he talks to uh, Moses, right? Moses is interacting with him, not only in a burning bush, but up on the mountain. We see, uh, we see that you can't look at God, or you you won't exist anymore. Yet, all these people in the, in the Old Testament are talking with God, right? We see uh, we see the foreshadow, which I always find kind of neat, was uh, Abraham and Isaac. When a- Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac because the Lord tells him to, we see the Lord show up and stop him and say, hey, I'll provide that sacrifice, right? He's proclaiming that, that that's going to come. Uh, one of my favorite appearances you see in the Old Testament... Uh, probably not one of my favorite. It is my all-time favorite appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And most men are going to agree with this one is with Jacob. He appears to Jacob. And Jacob, being a man who struggles with who he is, decides he's going to wrestle God. And they have a wrestling match all night long. And before this, I would have told you I didn't think... Jacob was much of a man. I thought his brother Esau was the real man, and he was kind of just like trying to fill in. But if you can wrestle all night long, you're you're a by-God man. You are somebody. Wrestled all night long until finally 
Jesus says, that's enough, and dislocates his hip. But it's through all of that. He is always there. Forever, he's always been here. Uh, we see him period of Joshua in Joshua 5, Exodus 23. Uh, this is one that's always kind of interesting to us. Is uh, God said he's going to send his angel to guide Moses and the Israelites. But then he refers to himself as God and a reverent one. Right? So it has to be to that point. Uh, and then in Philippians 2, 5, it starts out this way. It says, Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeliness of a man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is saying... He was very much and still is very much God. And then when you look at the perfect union of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's complete. It's a complete love. Whenever it says God is love, it's referring to the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can't take one without the other, right? And it, uh, one of the old analogies you always got with how to explain the Holy Trinity, and it was... It's a poor representation, but you get it whenever you see white light. And when you look at white light, it's consisting of three colors. It's considered consisting of yellow light, I believe it is, red, and blue light beams. And when they come together, they make white, a white light. If you take one away, you just have, like, take yellow away, you have red and blue light beams. You don't have white anymore. Right, But when the three are operating perfect in unity, you have white light. They're still yellow, red, and blue beams, but they're white light. That's a poor comparison because we cannot grasp the true unity of who God is, but it's in that same thing. When they're together, they are God. They are perfect. And if they are perfect and they're one in unity, when Jesus was in heaven, you know, Pastor Chad has spent... A long time explaining heaven to us and how beautiful that is and how amazing that is. And we can't grasp that because of how perfect it's going to be. But he is perfect in heaven, living the most... I'll tell you what, if, if I'm in heaven and somebody says, Hey, you want to go back down to earth? I promise you, you guys are on your own. I'm not coming back, right? Because I wouldn't want to leave. But he is perfectly up there in unison with his Father and the Holy Spirit. And when you look at Galatians 5 and you look at the fruit of the Spirit and its love, its joy, its peace, its patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things were all what Jesus had in heaven. It was a perfect life. It's who he is. 
Like, it was the greatest thing. Like, I don't know. I can't grasp it necessarily, but I would not leave it. And uh, the analogy I got in prayer on this is, I mean, we, we live in a, in a fallen world, so it's hard for us to understand how good life is. But what if I ask you to give up where you're at right now, to leave your home, to leave America, and to go over to Indonesia, where there's so much ungodliness over there, it's unbelievable. It's 80, over 85% are Muslim. Right? There's not very many over. I want to say it's one or two percent who are even Christian in that nation. So you wouldn't be received very well. And I say, I want you to go over there. Not only do I want you to leave your home and go over there, I want you to be homeless over there, and I'm going to give you nothing. How many of you would jump at the chance for that? Right? Your your first thought's going to be like, you've lost your mind. Right? Because none of us would do that. Even if we thought like, we're like, well, you might be able to save a few people over there, we would still say, no, that sounds like I'm going to get killed. It sounds like it's going to be a miserable life. It sounds uncomfortable. And, and that holier than thou part of us might say like, oh, if it's for the gospel, I'll do it. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we don't want to be homeless. We don't want to be homeless in America, let alone in one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And that's what Jesus did. He gave up the perfect home to come to be homeless in a world that was uh, harsh against him, that was a very hard place to come and live, a very place that even the religious were trying to kill him. The very religious didn't want to receive him. And he said, I'm going to go do that for them. Right? Right? I always like to say that the one of the easier things a person can do for somebody is die for them. Like, that don't take much to die for them. Like, if I'm standing up here and, and somebody's about to shoot Mike and I run in front of that bullet and I die, that happened instantly. It didn't take much. All I had to do is move right in front of it and I'm dead. But it would take a whole lot for me to come and say, Mike, I'm going to live my whole life for you. I'm going to do everything in my life to make sure you have a good life. To make sure you and I are always together. It takes a lot more to do that than it does to die. And when we think about that, Jesus did both. And his death wasn't as easy as walking in front of a bullet. His death was the harshest death ever on earth. But he did that. And this is the very one who was from the beginning. If we can even grasp a beginning in his, in his mindset. Because we're, we're limited by time. We're limited by space. We're limited by, by creation. By what we see. But he's perfect. And he comes down. Born of a baby, or as a baby, of a, from a virgin. And it was prophesied that that would happen, and he did that for us, right? And my thought process sometimes with that is, uh, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? You know, even Christmas Day, how do we celebrate Christmas? 
If you think back at your top ten favorite Christmas days, your, your greatest Christmas celebrations, how many of them are because of Jesus and how many of them are because of stuff that happened, like gifts that were given or family that you spent time with? How many of our top favorite gift, uh, times are with Jesus? We, uh, last week, Amanda changed up the teaching for the children uh, church down there. And she wanted to wanted us to talk about how how we celebrate birthdays. How do we celebrate our birthdays? And then how does how do we celebrate Jesus' birthday? And you think about how you celebrate your kids' birthdays or your friends' birthdays or your birthday, and the whole day is about you. Right? And these kids get it, they got it real quick. They caught on pretty fast because these kids are smart. And they realized that whenever it's our birthday, the gifts are theirs. The celebration is theirs. The food, everything is about them. But when they start thinking about Christmas and the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they realize it's still about them. The celebration is still them. They get the gifts, they get the party. And when you think about that, why is Jesus not more in our celebration? Right? It's kind of like the, that cartoon that was up there with, dude, there's a baby in the salad. It's kind of like we're in the middle of our celebrations for Christmas and we're like, oh, dude, there's a baby that was born in this time period. Right? We're, we're trying to eat here and, and this name Jesus keeps popping up, but we're trying to celebrate Christmas. And a lot of times we're not actually celebrating Christmas. We're not actually celebrating Jesus. We're having a great family party. And Jesus wasn't invited. Right? And maybe you're better at it than than me and my family. Maybe you guys like wake up in the morning and you just start throwing on your birthday party hats and you celebrate Jesus all day long and it's all about Jesus. But I, I will, as we go further into this, I will ask you this question. Would it, would Christmas Day be a great indication of how much Jesus is actually in our lives? Because if we don't celebrate Him on Christmas, how much less likely are we celebrating Him the rest of the year? Right? The very day set up to celebrate the birth and the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's hard to actually celebrate him on that day. He's not necessarily always the the guest of honor. He's more of an honorable mention. Right? And that's a harsh way to be, but it's true. He's not usually the guest of honor at our mills. We're gathering as, as guests of honors and then saying, oh yeah, and Jesus. Oh yeah, let's not forget we're celebrating the birth of Jesus instead of saying, hey, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now let's love one another. Right? He's not first. Right? And Ricky Bobby said, if you're not first, you're last. Wise man. He was a prophet, I think. Maybe. Isaiah 9. Now that we have down who Jesus is and his worthiness, I want to look at Isaiah 9 
And uh, very popular Christmas verse, our chapter. In verse 1 it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought in, into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And when he's talking about this, that there will be no more anguish, he's actually talking about the land and the sea of Galilee. In verse eight, in chapter 8, it's laid out that Israel's going to be under attack, right? The Assyrians were going to come and they were going to attack and they would persecute and they'd be under persecution for a long time and Galilee, the area around Galilee had it worse. And he's given them a foreshadow that one day that's not the case. One day, something glorious is coming, right? Then it says, And the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And this is, uh, this is talking about in, in those areas in Israel at the time whenever they first were starting to uh, fall under attack. God said, you guys will seek medians. You will seek uh, necrophilias. You will seek all kinds of things to try to, to get you out of where you're at, but you will turn your back on God. And that's why he says, that's why he's speaking of the darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, the difference between the area of Galilee, the whole nation, the whole, all the uh, lands around Galilee, was that it's one place that people were actually seeking God. Not all of them, but some were. So whenever Jesus comes to Galilee area, there were some who were actually waiting for a Messiah. Right? And he says, on you, he says, on them has light shone. So in this dark area, those who were seeking the Lord, a light will shine. This is Isaiah writing this way before any of this ever happens, right? Telling them what's going to happen. It says, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you at the joy of the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And he is talking about whenever the Savior comes, there is going to be this great party. They are going to celebrate the Savior. They will celebrate you in a way as if if there's this great mighty harvest like what they used to do at harvest time. They always threw parties. The Israelites, the Jews, they threw parties for everything. Unlike us, we're usually just going through life and we don't celebrate the big things very often. But they would celebrate everything that would happen. They would give thanks and praise to the Lord. And he's talking about these very things here. This is going. They will celebrate like it's the greatest of harvests. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, they, they have been broken as on the day of Midian. And this is a... He's using an example here of whenever Gideon... And the army defeated Midian, and that all the oppression was broken off of them. They were free. And you know what they did when that happened? They were a great party. They celebrated because they're now free. Just like in the days of Midian, you'll be set free. All that oppression, everything you went through will be gone. You don't have to endure it anymore. 
And there's a great celebration. For every boot of the trampling warriors in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And this is uh, proclaiming the victory. This is saying you no longer need that stuff that was in battle. You no longer have to have anything to fight anymore. That is fuel for the fire. The king's won. There's a victory already, right? You don't need it anymore. You've won. And it says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and furthermore... The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How do we celebrate the one who did all of this for us? This is a, uh, this is a huge proclamation, right? The child is coming. He's going to be born. Everything is put upon his shoulders. He is the king. And, and you know, in Scripture, in, in the New Testament, it talks often about the gospel and spreading the gospel. And a lot of times we don't understand that word gospel because we're not from that time period. And I've probably shared it here before, but the gospel was a, a war term. So whenever a land was persecuted or a land had a, a, a king that wasn't necessarily a good king and that, that they would go to war. And whenever the good king conquers and he wins the war and, and the people are set free from the tyranny of a bad king. They would send out the gospel, which would be people. There would be messengers, right? So like, I may say, Alicia, I need you to run to Boonville and tell them about the conquering king that the king won. Right? I may say, Curtis, I need you to go to the east side in Evansville and make sure everybody knows that the king has won. They have been set free. And the moment that they would go and they would tell the good news, the gospel... That victory was theirs, that the king has won, that they've been set free because of the victory that the king has, they would rejoice and throw a great party. They would celebrate in the streets because they had been set free from their captivity. And that's the very gospel that we have. The moment that Jesus came to earth, even before he died, he was the conquering king. He had come. And then the moment he dies, pays for all of our sins and rises, that victory is complete. And then we walk away. There's no great celebration. Right? There's no spreading the news everywhere. You wouldn't believe it. We're free. There are people in this neighborhood... Not just this nation and not just this world, but in this neighborhood who have no idea of a conquering king. All they know about Jesus Christ is, well, yeah, he was born and because of him we have a, uh, we have a lot of presents. Right? We put up a bunch of lights. We have a fat guy in a red suit that comes around and, you know, we have tons of decorations and a lot of stress. We get to eat together. That's all they know about the Savior, 
the one who was born on this on Christmas Day, or well, he's probably born a different day, but we celebrate him on Christmas Day. But it's not proclaimed. That is the gospel. The good news is, is I've been set free. I'm no longer captive. All right. This is who we celebrate. Yet I go back to thinking, does Christmas look like that's what we're celebrating? Does Christmas look like that's who we're celebrating even? We may make it like honorable mention to Jesus Christ, but is that who we're truly celebrating? Right? My last scripture, probably my last scripture I'm going to share here is Luke 17, 11. And uh, this came to me Tuesday in prayer. And I've never seen this quite this way, but we look around a lot of times and we... Uh, we look how ungrateful people are sometimes in our society and how they overlook the Lord and their blessings and all that. But I, w- I want us to, as I share the scripture, I want you to put yourself into this picture and kind of think of how you react, right? It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, he being Jesus. And as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I'm going to pause. There was a day, a moment in your life, whether it was in a church building, in your house, driving down a road, that you realized, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. I need you. There was that day that you said, and if you haven't said it yet, today is a great day to do that. Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me, right? When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went away, they were cleansed. So here they are, they're cleansed. The moment we turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. Take my sins away, we are cleansed of our sins. Beautiful moment, right? And we may go tell our priest. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he said, Now, or he says, Now he was a Samaritan. It's always interesting to me how how so many interactions with Jesus were Samaritans. And Samaritans were people who weren't, weren't even worthy to go into the temple. Like some of us probably in our lives have felt like we weren't worthy to walk into a church, right? Then Jesus answered, were there not ten of you cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Not that your faith has healed you, but faith has made you well. Ten were cleansed. And one praised him. It's kind of like whenever you have a big church service and and you have hundreds walk up front and they give their life to Christ 
Or at least they say a sinner's prayer and they're cleansed. But not many of them return to praise him for it. Right? And do we? Salvation is a daily walk. It's not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a daily thing that we're cleansed daily and we're being made righteous. But do we return and praise him? That's it's a deep question. Nine did not. That tells me 10%. Which is a very interesting statistic. Because statistically, before 2020... of Americans had a biblical worldview. Actually, I think it's 9% of the church. 9% were actually following the Lord. And now that number's even lower. It's something like 5 or 6%. And do we daily do that? Do we daily worship the Lord? Do we daily praise the Lord? Do we daily celebrate the Lord? Or can we even do it on one day? Can we do it even on Christmas? I promise you, if we start doing that on Christmas Day, it gets easier to do it on the day after Christmas. And the day after that, and the day after that. But you've got to start with one day of truly celebrating Jesus, worshiping Him, making the day about Him. If we're going to be kingdom-minded people, we truly have to have our minds set on the kingdom. And in order to have your mind set on a kingdom, we have to be able to worship and praise and follow the king. And if we're not serving the king, we're not kingdom people. Right? And that uh, Tracy or whoever, you guys can come on up. But as I, as I prayed more and more about this message, it dawned on me that... Uh, we're not very good people at worshiping our king. We set aside two hours a week, maybe three hours a week. We may attend this, that, or the other, but we don't. our days aren't based on him. Our celebrations aren't necessarily based on him. Right? Our lives are about, you're good to come up. Okay. All right. And it, uh, Yeah, that distracted me there. But I, I just want to encourage you guys that, that we don't want to be the people who uh, who show up like those animals did and we look at it and we're like, there's a baby in the salad. We don't want to say, hey, there's a baby at our celebration, you know. And it, uh, I remember a, uh, a, a, a story about a church who had a, a large nativity scene. And they were about to have this huge celebration uh, at their church. And somebody stole the baby Jesus out of the nativity scene. In my thought process, that's kind of funny. But that's only because I was like, wow, that's ironic right before your big celebration that the baby was stolen out of the nativity scene. And, but they had panic. They had deep panic that they had to find this baby. Or they had to figure out some way to get the baby Jesus back into the nativity scene. And they found one. And they got him back in the nativity scene. But you know what happened the next year? It became tradition. Somebody would steal the baby every year. 
It became a thing. It was like a tradition. And then you got to go find the baby Jesus. And my thought process is, is maybe somebody stole the baby Jesus out of our nativity. But are we going to look for him even? Are we just comfortable that baby Jesus is gone? And then next year, maybe this year, we fight hard to make sure the baby Jesus is back. But then next year, somebody's going to try to steal him again. And are we going to go look for him? Right? Is it going to be about him? Or is it going to just be about the family sitting there together, hanging out? And the baby Jesus is missing, and Mary and Joseph are like, eh, I don't know where he is. Let's get back to partying. Right? That's where our celebration should be. And Jared, you can play that music. I'm going to, if you need prayer, we're going to pray. But I'm going to, I'm going to close with Mark 12, 28. Uh, and the reason why I'm going to do this is, uh, well, I just am. And one of the scribes came up and heard uh, them disputing. And this is talking about, uh, Jesus just went through this whole thing where the Pharisees and scribes and all are asking all these, and the Sadducees are asking all these questions, trying to debunk who he is. And they just ask about the resurrection and, and he'd answered it. And you know, you know what happens whenever Jesus is getting asked questions. He hits a home run every time. He knocks it out of the park. That's what Jesus does. You don't ask Jesus a question if you don't want the truth, right? And then a scribe comes up to him and it says, uh, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of them all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're a right teacher. You have said that he is one and there's no one besides him. And I like that. Like Jesus is telling him what the greatest commandments are. And he goes, You've answered correctly, Jesus. You passed my test. You know, that's like pretty arrogant. But then he goes on. And he says, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's understanding it's not about sacrifices. It's not about burnt offerings. It's about loving God, right? Nothing you do is more important than loving God, right? And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, this is a challenging part, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared ask him another question. This guy understood that there's nothing more important than loving God. There's nothing more than loving, the second one would be loving your neighbor as yourself. He understood that. And Jesus said, you are so close. We can understand that we should do things. And we can understand how we should be living. And we'll be so close to the kingdom of God. But if we don't start doing it, 
We're just close. We're not there. Right? He said, you're so close. And I, I wonder that scribe, if in his mind he didn't say, all right, I'm close. Or did he say, wait a minute, I'm just close? That's my thought. I don't want to just be close. I want to be there. I want to do it. And I'm going to close this in prayer. If you need prayer, we'll be here. Uh, we'll have music playing. I'm going to tell you as I close you in prayer, as we close in prayer, I said if you need prayer, this altar is open. We'll lead you to Jesus if you need it. If you need to rededicate yourself to Jesus, if you need to change the way you live, we are here. If you just need to seek the Lord yourself and recommit your celebration to Him, find a place to pray. Don't leave here not ready. Don't leave here without knowing that you're good with the Lord. Don't do it. And after I pray, we'll be here and we'll have some music playing and you can stay as long as you want, but feel free to leave as you feel led. All right, because I'm not going to come back up. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you did not, you did not conceive your, your righteousness and your godliness as something that, that you wouldn't be willing to let go of long enough to come live for us. Jesus, you lived your entire life here on this earth to serve, to love, to atone for our sins, Lord, to show us the right way to do things. And you died, giving us the the payment for our sins, Lord. You went down to hell to pay for it, and then you rose again, giving us the promise of everlasting life. Father God, I pray you would search our hearts, Lord. Show us, Lord, if we're not worthy. Lord, show us if we're not doing, celebrating the way we should celebrate you, Lord. Show us if we're not living the way we should live, Lord. Father, i got to pray that not one would walk out of here close to the kingdom of God, but we would all walk out of here in the kingdom of God. That we'd walk out here in our salvation, Lord. That we'd be living for you, Lord. And Father God, I pray not one person here would have a celebration of your birth without you being there. I thank you for who you are. I love you. And I pray you be with all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.